Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you on another Tuesday evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's first letter to the Church of Corinth. We are in chapter 12, and we are going to jump back into chapter 12 uh, here in a bit. Um, I did want to make a comment. I was pulled aside the other day and asked about <laughs> the, the Greek, the Hebrew, the Aramaic. It seems so rich. Uh, why does not our English language translate this better? And, well, my dear friends, to some extent, it can't, okay? We have to understand that the English language does not have the flexing power to translate certain Hebrew, certain uh, Greek, uh, certain Aramaic. It just can't do it. So, for example, in uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, a verse I've talked about um, several times, that verse that describes what the Magi were going through when they saw our Lord. Their emotion was described as what? They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. <laughs> they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, that's pretty descriptive, but it's the English language that's trying to grab hold of a very strong, robust 11-syllable Greek word. I mean, typically, uh, the Greek language is very economical in its syllables, huh? One, two, maybe three. This has 11 syllables, and it just can't translate it. So uh, the best the English language can do is to translate it as, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And certainly, you can begin to capture that it's more than just being overjoyed, right? No, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And Yet, there's still something missing because in the Greek, it's this explosive word, a word that is very active, a word that is very engaging, a word that has these fireworks going off. Uh, so the English language can begin to grab at it, but it just can't get to the heart of it. Now, the other aspect of this, when it comes to trying to translate certain Hebrew words or, or Greek words or Hebrew phrases or Greek phrases, is that we miss its tense. We, we miss what kind of word it is. So, for example, in Luke one twenty eight, when the angel greets Mary, he does so with, again, another very <laughs> robust Greek word, kekaritomene, that can be translated as, yes, rejoice, O highly favored one, or hail full of grace. But there what we might miss is that it's a perfect participle. So it's an action completed in the past. Now, hail full of grace is probably the best rendering of the Greek, but we don't know it's a perfect participle. We don't know what a perfect participle is. So these kinds of things can be lost in the English language, and that's why we study, right? Now, does this mean we can't read Scripture and, and not be inspired? Of course not. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that when you come to me and say, why doesn't the English language do a better job of translating the Greek? In some cases it can, 
Some translations are better than others. For one reason or another, some translations seem to almost water down the Greek. But some translations do get to the heart of the Greek, but it's not Greek. (laughs) So what does that leave us with? Well, it leaves us with the need to roll up our sleeves and to really spend time with these texts and to get into some of the commentaries and those who know Hebrew and those who know Aramaic and those who know Greek to really get out what's going on. It's not to say you cannot be inspired or you can't understand a text. I'm not saying that. But to get the fullness of the text, yeah, it it does help to spend time with the Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And certainly this is one of the things we do here on Seeds of Truth to help you better understand, well, right now, as we are going through Paul's first letter to the church of Corinth, what Paul is saying in his first letter to the church of Corinth, right? So a very important question, uh, a very important observation, and one that we need to be mindful of as we move forward in our study on first letter to the Corinthians, but also any time we engage a biblical text that we are mindful of this, okay? All right. All that being said, let us get back into 1 Corinthians 12. Now, I read verses 4 to 11 yesterday. I'll go ahead and read those verses again to get us going this evening. This is verses 4 to 11. And again, here we are talking about the spiritual gifts, right? Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of working, but it is the same God who inspires them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are inspired by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Okay, first a word about what the Second Vatican Council had to say on these charisms before we get into the specific gifts. As I was kind of setting this up yesterday evening, I wanted to quote here from a church document that I think really gets to the heart of of what the charisms are all about. And this is from Lumen Gentium, paragraph 12. It is not only through the sacraments and church ministries that the same Spirit sanctifies and leads the people of God and enriches it with virtues, allotting His gifts to everyone according to, as He will, what we just read, right? He distributes special graces among the faithful of every rank. Did we not talk about this yesterday, right? No matter who you are, he desires to distribute graces to you. Lumen Gentium continues, By these gifts he makes them fit and ready to undertake the various tasks or offices advantageous for the renewal and upbuilding of the church according to the words of St. Paul. Here they quote verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to everyone for profit. These charismatic gifts, whether they be most outstanding or the more simple and widely diffused, are to be received with thanks 
giving. And with thanksgiving, we talked about gratitude yesterday. And consolation, for they are exceedingly suitable and useful for the needs of the church. So I thought Lumen Gentium did a beautiful job there of really talking about why we have the charisms, right? Now, about those charisms. Well, what's the first charism? The expression of wisdom, right? Or the utterance of wisdom. So just not wisdom in of itself, but the expression of wisdom, the utterance of wisdom. So this speaks more to the giving uh, practical counsel, right? Of the kind maybe that we read in, in the book of Proverbs and, and Sirach, but now purified, right? And completed by the light of the Holy Spirit. For many of us, it might not seem wise from a purely human point of view to advise forgiving one's enemies. But is this not what the supernatural gift of wisdom ought to encourage and the advice of wisdom should inspire? So from a natural point of view, forgiveness does not make sense, or at least encouraging forgiveness. And yet from a supernatural point of view, doing that, yes, makes sense. And I talk about this because like knowledge and all of the gifts that Paul speaks of, its charismatic nature, that is the charismatic nature of wisdom, is revealed only when it is exercised, when the counsel is given, right? I mean, if I had been given a physical talent to do something, if I had been given the talent to be able to throw a baseball 90 miles per hour, what's the point of the talent if I don't go out and play baseball, right? <laughs> or maybe I have the ability to, to throw a football 60 yards right on target. What's the point of that talent if I'm not going out and playing football? And moreover, you only know I have that talent unless I throw a baseball or throw a football. If God has given you a natural talent, yeah, go out and perform. If God has given you a supernatural talent, yeah, go out and do what God has called you to and let the people around you marvel. Only then will you know that the talent has been given, right? No one will know that I'm talented in baseball or basketball. Not, not saying that I am. Not saying that I can throw a baseball 90 miles per hour, but for the sake of the analogy, right? No one can know that I can do those things unless I go out and do them. So Paul also wants us to see that it's just not enough to, to possess something. What did we talk about yesterday? Talents exist for others, right? Not for our own self-benefit, although supernatural gifts, gifts from God, graces from God, of course, benefit us, but for the benefit of other. For, what did Lumen Gentium say? For the renewal of other, right? Now, something else here, there's an element of trust in this spiritual gift, because what does Jesus say? The Holy Spirit will teach you at the moment what you should say. Luke chapter 12, verse 12, the Holy Spirit will teach you at that moment what you should say. We also read in John chapter 14, verse 26, the Holy Spirit will bring to your memory what you ought to say. So, we study the faith, we pray with the faith, and if God has given you this gift of wisdom, then trust. Trust that God will give you the right thing to say in and through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Bring to your memory what you ought to say. 
So very important there. You know, the practical gift of wisdom really highlights the importance of having a spiritual director, being guided, right, by someone to go here or over there. And maybe you're someone who says to me, well, I don't need a spiritual director. Brothers and sisters, we all have blind spots, right? We all have blind spots. We can be on the right path, but we all have blind spots. I mean, I could be driving down a road and my lights can be on and it's dark, but I can see, right? I know where I'm going. Yet what I don't realize is that my back right light is out. And why don't I know that? Because I can't see that. It's a blind spot. You might say, we don't need that back right light. Yeah, you do. Maybe not in the immediate future, but down the road, you will need it, right? So we need someone to tell us that our back right light is out. And in the spiritual life, that can be whatever you might be missing. It's very hard for us to be objective about ourselves, huh? <laughs> we, <laughs> we are a very opinion-driven culture, so our subjectivity tends to drown out what is objective. We need people to remind us, right, what we need to do. I mean, think about it this way. If you wanted advice in finances, who do you go see? A financial consultant. Maybe you're starting a business. Who do you go see? A business consultant. Maybe you want to start a training exercise. Who do you go see? A fitness consultant. Right? <laughs> Maybe you're looking to buy a house. Who do you go see? A realtor. You seek professionals out, right? Those who are trained in those specific areas to help you do what, what it is that you want to do. Well, in the spiritual life, there are those trained in the spiritual arts, that are there for you to make the right decisions. You go see a, a consultant a very specific, in a very specific area so that you don't make a bad decision. Well, the same could be said in the spiritual life. Seek those out who have the spiritual gift of wisdom. Okay, very important. All right, what about this second spiritual gift, knowledge? Knowledge is often teamed with wisdom, right? If you were to go to Romans chapter 11, verse 33, Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, we see knowledge tied to wisdom. Now here, the expression of knowledge could mean either an understanding of the mysteries of God, that is to say an insight into some aspect of faith, right? Or knowledge of a fact otherwise hidden, such as maybe our Lord's revealing to the Samaritan woman about her past relationships. Essentially, the gift of knowledge enables one to instruct others, and thus it involves what but speaking. Here, I want to hit the pause button and talk about a spiritual work of mercy to instruct the ignorant. What is instruct the ignorant? Because again, this is very much what this gift of knowledge is all about. To instruct the ignorant is to essentially build someone up, right? Build someone up in the knowledge of Christ. The word itself, instruct, comes from the Latin instruire, which literally means to build up or pile up. In English, it's interesting. It also has the notion of strewing something. Uh, so, for example, to strew hay or, or to say that the seed has been strewn. Thus, to instruct means what? But to disperse knowledge or, again, to build someone up and what is learned. Now, these days, the word ignorant is 
typically used in a negative or pejorative sense, right? And thus to say that someone is ignorant, in contemporary terms at least, is to say someone is stupid or foolish. But more literally, my friends, and certainly less pejoratively, (laughs) the word simply refers to someone who does not know something. And while I know in some cases it could be said that some things are inexcusable and that a person should know better, it can also be more innocent, right, that one simply does not happen to know something and ultimately can benefit from instruction, right? And this is what is meant by the spiritual work of mercy, instruct the ignorant. I mean, could we not say that all of us can benefit from good instruction by those who know more about a certain subject or issue than we do? And while instructing and and educating folks in the area of, of maybe our particular expertise is a good thing, it is something far greater, a work of mercy, when the knowledge conferred is something essential towards saving us, right? This is what makes the knowledge of Jesus Christ different. Now, in speaking of instructing the ignorant as a spiritual work of mercy, at least two things are meant here. First, because the intellect is a faculty of the soul, our human spirit is nourished by all instruction, right? That makes sense. Second, and more particularly, the church has in mind the kind of instruction that most benefits the soul. That is, instruction in religious truth that is rooted in the Holy Scriptures. Again, if secular instruction can benefit us unto worldly ends, how much greater the benefits of religion, religious instruction that has heavenly and eternal rewards. The goal of this spiritual work of mercy is always to place one into a saving relationship with God or build up that already existing saving relationship with God, saving relationship with Jesus Christ. So I hit the pause button in within the context of this gift because knowledge of God has an unestimable value on the soul. Okay, how about faith? Now, here, faith cannot refer to the faith that saves, which of course is necessary for all, but rather to an extraordinary movement of expectant faith, the faith that moves mountains, the faith that witnesses to others. Have you ever seen anyone who shows an extraordinary amount of trust in God? I mean, just think now. When was the last time someone witnessed to you in their faith? I think we all have at least one person who has witnessed to us in how we are called to better live out our faith by trusting God. They are exercising, my friends, that person who has witnessed to you, what? The charismatic gift of faith, because trust, trust (laughs) is an extraordinary thing for sure. All right, how about these gifts of healing? Now, the gifts of healing are what? But a sign of God's kingdom and certainly the kingdom of God here on earth. We saw it in the ministry of Jesus, and certainly we read of it in the book of Acts. The ministry of healing became an important tool for evangelization in the early church, and 
for 2,000 years, healing has been a very important tool of just not evangelization in the church, but an evangelization that once again brings someone into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. This ought to really be appreciated because there's a tendency to look at things like healing and and what we're going to talk about here in a bit, the mighty deeds of God, and, and keep it to the external. What we need to see is that behind every miracle, or at least what should be behind every miracle, is what? But a conversion of heart, right? It is not enough to just perform a miracle, not in the mind and heart of Christ, but what that leads to, what that miracle leads to, a conversion of heart. And quite honestly, as I have often said, the conversion of heart often is the greater miracle. I mean, if you were to really think about it, what is the greater miracle? For Jesus to tell a stone to get up and walk or for a heart to be transformed? Think about maybe a person you have hurt and you want to be reconciled with that person and yet they just won't forgive you. You might be thinking right now, yeah, I agree with you, Joe. The greater miracle is the conversion of heart because ultimately we are dealing with the human will. And so we pray for that kind of miracle as well. Now, about miracles, about those mighty deeds. This particular charismatic gift is really about the kind of on the on-the-spot manifestation of the Spirit's power. We see this exercised in Paul's ministry, uh, which brought about the conversion of the proconsul Sergius Paulus in Acts chapter 13, verses 8 to 12. We also saw it in Peter's ministry, huh, where Peter raised Tabitha from the dead. In a more contemporary context, we have who but Padre Pio. Padre Pio was a priest who lived in Italy in the 50s and 60s, and he performed a great number of miracles the least of which was his bilocation, his bilocation, which was witnessed by many different people. So he was at two spots at one time. If you're hearing about this for the first time, I encourage you to do some research on Padre Pio's bilocation. These kinds of things are what? Manifestation of the Spirit. They are supernatural. They are mighty deeds. They are miracles, okay? But above all else, they are what? A work of God. A work of God. All right, how about this gift of prophecy? Generally speaking, the gift of prophecy is what? A foretelling of a future event. Paul told his earliest readers that they should not quench the Spirit or despise prophesying, but test everything. So for Paul, the gift of prophecy was never enough. It had to be tested. In point of fact, part of the gift of prophecy is how it is tested in time, how it is tested through, well, what he talks about in the next verse, what he talks about in the next gift, the discernment of spirits. Now, the discernment of spirits is that gift, that ability to distinguish and separate what properly belongs to God and what does not belong to God. Paul seems to be saying here that certain persons in the community are what? But gifted with a spiritual insight, if you will, that will enable the community to gain clarity in a particular matter. And does this not bring up just the, the importance of being aware of spirits in general, right? 
I mean, think about it. The story of our Lord's temptation in the desert shows that Satan can even quote Scripture, right? Paul says in the second epistle to Corinth that Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, he says, Our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities, with the powers, with the what? Evil spirits. So we need to be able to distinguish the good spirits from the evil spirits. We need this gift of discernment, a very, very important gift to the body of Christ. You know, earlier I was talking about the importance of spiritual direction, while here it comes into play again. We need someone to go to, to turn to, to help us discern what God wants to do in our life, how God is working in a particular moment, specifically when we are made to make a decision, distinguish between one thing or another. Very, very important. This gift of discernment might arguably be chief among all gifts because that ability to be able to identify what properly belongs to God and does not belong to God is really at the forefront of the spiritual life, is it not? The spiritual life, and we can also say holiness, is about walking in the presence of God. Without discernment, without this particular gift, it is very difficult to walk in the presence of God. Why? Because again, remember, if Satan can quote Scripture and disguise himself as an angel of light, then we need to enter into that struggle, that struggle in grace. Why do we go to a doctor if we think we have a wound infected? Because the doctor can tell us whether or not the wound is infected. He can help us separate and distinguish what is infected and what is not infected. So all the same, we go to someone who is trained up once again in the spiritual arts. All right. Lastly, the varieties of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Uh, we are running out of time, but just as well, because Paul really gets into these particular gifts in chapter 14, so we're going to be able to really develop these gifts in chapter 14. I did want to make sure that we, we hit the essence of what is in these gifts, especially, especially wisdom, knowledge, and the discernment of spirits because of their relevance in the spiritual life. My friends, all of the charismatic gifts are a part of the, the divine endowment of God, the divine endowment of the church. And we are to replenish ourselves each and every day in the exercise of these gifts, mindful that as we do so, we are going deeper in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And at the same time, we are witnessing to those around us Ask yourself the question, has anyone ever come up to you and asked you a question? Why do you live the way you live? Why do you do what you do in your faith life? Those kinds of questions come from the simple reality of you living in God. And so take these charismatic gifts that we've talked about this evening and that we will continue to talk about as more opportunities to live in God and at the same time for other. Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you.
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.